you must define your roles. Must, must, must. Because if you overlap, then one of you is insignificant. And so knowing what roles you play in the business, who has strengths in certain areas, and then who has credibility. Because there's going to come moments when you're as a partner, you don't always agree, right, Chris? And so in those instances, when you're an equal partner, who gets final say? Welcome, everybody, to The Chris Harder Show, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success, knowing that when good people like you make good money, they can then do great things. My name is Chris Harder, and several times per week, I will bring you epic guests, solo episodes, and every single tool, trick, and skill set you need to grow your business, grow your money mindset, and to grow your wealth to levels that you have never reached before. I've ended up in a unique place in life where I've got the experience, the connections, and all of the secrets that it takes to be successful. And I'm lifting the curtain to reveal it all to you in an effort to help put you in a position of abundance so great that you can then be as generous as possible. So let's lock arms and let's get started. Hey, everybody, welcome back to The Chris Harder Show, where we absolutely believe that both prosperity and generosity can and must coexist. I cannot wait for you to listen to today's episode because I'm sitting down with our dear friend, Lisa Bilyeu. Now, you guys probably already know who this powerhouse is, but in case you need a reminder, she is one of the co-founders of Quest Nutrition. Yes, that Quest Nutrition, the bars and the shakes and the food and the snacks that you love. A billion, with a B, a billion dollar company. Can you imagine being the co-founder of a billion dollar company? Well, she's done it. She's also the co-founder and president of Impact Theory Studios. That, of course, is one of the producers of Impact Theory, the incredible podcast that has over 7.5 million listeners. She has also helped to create the digital series, Women of Impact. As a matter of fact, Lisa has created a slate of content that has been viewed more than a half a billion times. Let that sink in over a half a billion times. Think of that kind of reach and think of that kind of impact. Impact is the central word that absolutely describes everything that Lisa does, which is why I love her and why we resonate so much. So in this episode, we're going to talk about tangible tools to succeed as an entrepreneurial couple working together. It also applies to business partners, by the way. And we're not just going to glaze over it. We give real tangible tools. That's what I love about her. She gets great formulas and tangible tools. We're also going to talk about why Lisa is so excited, as am I, about the NFT and blockchain space for women. You definitely have to hear that. And of course, we're going to highlight her new book, Radical Confidence, which is full of incredible tools and incredible formulas on how to specifically get over your fears, identify them and get over them. So you can operate with radical confidence, whether it's in the boardroom or whether it's as a couple, wherever you need to show up with radical confidence in your life. One of the great ways, as a reminder, to start out every single day radically confident is to let me text you the first moment I wake up a positive money mantra or a positive business perspective, right? I'm going to help you put on confident lenses every single morning. If you want to be on that list, which thousands and thousands and thousands of you are, I love your responses when you text me back. All you have to do is text me the word daily to 310-421-0416. Again, text me the word daily to 310-421-0416. And I'll put you on that list. I'll text you something positive, something empowering every single morning that I wake up. This episode is going to leave you confident. This episode is going to leave you empowered. But my favorite part is it leaves you with lots and lots of real tangible tools that you can use the minute you hang up. So get ready, take some notes, listen up. Because here we go. Lisa, thank you so much for being on the show. How the heck are you? Oh my God, thank you so much for having me. What an honor. Like such an honor. I texted your wife and I was like, do you think I'm not sure if I should ask her, but I didn't have your contact. So it was so wonderful for you to say yes, have me on and for me to be here today. I'm so excited. The honor is the other way around. Is all my honor. And you know what's interesting is you and Tom inspire Lori and I so much. The way that you have grown incredible businesses, both as a couple and as individuals. The way that you guys co-create together as a romantic couple and being able to accomplish that at a high level at the same time as doing business together. In fact, we should start there. You guys were gracious enough to come and speak to my mastermind a few years ago. 
And when everybody left, they couldn't stop talking about the way that the two of you showed up energetically together. They could tell that these are two people that are massively in love on top of the incredible accomplishments that you guys had achieved together. So what would you say as a couple in business together is one must-do tip and one must-not-do tip in order to thrive in the love department as well as the business department? All right. Must-do is you must define your roles. Must, must, must. Because if you overlap, then one of you is insignificant. And so knowing what roles you play in the business, who has strengths in certain areas, and then who has credibility. Because there's going to come moments when you're as a partner, you don't always agree, right, Chris? And so in those instances, when you're an equal partner, who gets final say? And that was one of the very early things that Tom and I realized that, look, we have a goal that we have said together. So we're in it together. We're freaking partners. We are both going towards that same goal. So if we're going towards that same goal and we butt heads and I think I'm right and he thinks he's right and we come at the standstill, does that serve our goal? Yes or no? No. Great. So now that we both know it doesn't serve our goal, in what moments before it gets heated do we decide who has the credibility? That is so key. And then what happens if you're in a situation where you both maybe feel like you have credibility and you both disagree and neither of you are moving? Who makes final decision? We decided that before we ever got there because we knew that then over time, in fact, I knew myself that over time, Tom is a very strong man. And so I would start to take it personally. And so I know in those moments, I don't want to bring emotion to the table when it comes to business. That's my own decision. I don't want to. I don't think it's useful when it comes to pitching why you think your idea is the better idea. Emotions don't serve those situations. So in those moments, who has credibility? Oh, sorry, who has final say if you both think you've got credibility? And we both said him. And I am 100% in. I pinky swear that that will happen because I step back and I say, he's got more experience from a business strategy. He just got more years on me than I have. And so I believe he's the better person to make that decision because I have a goal. And so selfishly, I think that's the right decision to get to my goal. So we were in a meeting once, it was like 20 of us, the team, we have like these Monday meetings before COVID. And we had one of these moments and it was the first time in our entire career, neither of us would budge. We couldn't convince each other. And so we tried to show respect. Hey, all right, convince me that you're right. And neither of us can convince each other. And in front of the entire team, he said, okay, I hear you. I disagree. We're moving forward with my idea. And in that moment, it doesn't mean it doesn't sting. I don't want to pretend. Of course, your ego gets dented. But in that moment, I basically said, okay, I disagree, but I commit. Those are the key Mm. words. That's strong. I disagree, but I commit. Yes. Because committing, you want the other person to be all in. You don't want them sitting on the sideline waiting for you to fail. That's not yeah. a partnership. That's not a team. So I want to say out loud, though, I still disagree. It's important for me to just make my final point. But you know what? I want you to work. Like At the end of the day, I want it to work. So I will commit to this. And I will commit to it like it's my idea. And now we go in it together. and We both feel like we've got a teammate wanting for us to get to that goal together. So that's one must. All right, that, that's an incredible must. And before you go to the must don't do, I actually want to comment on that real quick. Yeah. I just had a breakthrough. I'm sure everyone else did. This whole idea of I disagree, but I commit. Most people, they disagree and then they sabotage or they disagree and they create resistance or they disagree. Yes. And like you said, can't wait to watch this fail so I can say I told you so. And even the energy of those things is going to sabotage you both as a couple in business. So this breakthrough of, hey, I disagree, but I commit. The buck stops here. That's Mm -hmm. going to be really... And this is not just romantic couples. This is probably great for business couples too. Or I mean, like, you know, literally business partners. A thousand percent, because really, when you're sitting on the sideline and you're, like you said, sabotaging it, maybe not even deliberately, or that party that really wishes that it fails so that you're right, is your ego speaking. It is your ego speaking that it wants to be right and it wants to be soothed. So you're waiting for that moment to be like, see, I knew it. But this is where you have to ask yourself, what's actually more important, your ego or your goals? Oh, that's good. I hope the answer is goals for everybody listening. Yeah, right. Yeah, you do have his goals. But here's the thing, actually, Chris. I also want to say, if you can sit there and say, you know what, doing things that like 
where I'm wrong all the time. It really emotionally, like it's very emotionally distressing. Then maybe you do choose your ego. It's your life, right? That's the thing. It's your life. But just don't look back in one year, five years or 10 years and say, why didn't I get to my goal? You sat there and you actually made the decision that feeling better about yourself on the day-to-day basis and being right is more important than your goals. You made that decision. Great. Now you know. Wow. There's so much power in that. Okay. We could end right there and this would be so worth it for everybody. <laughs> Let's take it the other direction. What does one must not do then as a couple who is in business together? Use their vulnerabilities against them. Oh, yes. Keep going. So when you're in in a romantic relationship, you share things. And over time, you trust that person. You share, you know, your weak spots. You you share your vulnerabilities. I share my triggers with my husband. So he knows everything. Now in moments of disagreement, whether it's business or whether it's personal, in those situations, many of us just want to win the fight because it feels bad to lose a fight. And so we just want to feel good about ourselves. And so we're trying to win. And in those moments, sometimes you may say something that you may regret, or you may say something, because let's say, for instance, let's say it's not even a partner. Someone says something that really freaking stings. Sometimes your self-defense comes up and you hit back, right? Emotionally. So you say something that you know is going to try and shut them up. So they don't keep hurting you. So we understand where it comes from. But the second you say that out loud, the second you use someone's vulnerability or the trigger or something they trusted you with, you cannot take it back. Like no matter how much, no matter what you want to do after that for the next 10 years, you cannot take back the fact that they, someone trusted you with something and you used it in the moment as a weapon. That's, that's probably impossible to recover from because now the trust is gone. Now that sabotages the romantic relationship at home because the trust is gone and we know that the trust is what the bond is, right? Exactly. So if, even if Tom used the vulnerability, so one, one of the things like growing up, I, was t- I didn't get very good grades. I was mildly dyslexic. My brother and sister were way smarter than me. So I grew up definitely thinking I was stupid. Definitely. Now that's still a trigger of mine. If someone is mean to me or treats me like I'm in stupid, it will trigger me. Now, look, I'm very aware of it. I know it. I've done the work. So I know I actually don't react to it, but it still stings. Now, my husband knows that and he's known it all the way to the point before I could actually manage the trigger. And he's never once used it. Now imagine as my business partner, we're in a meeting. I've told him this is my romantic relationship. And now in a meeting, imagine something happens and I say something that he doesn't like. He could use that one weapon to shut him down. Do you use it? And the answer to your point is don't ever, ever, ever. God, that's really good. That's so good. One more question about working together as as a couple. How do you guys come together again as a romantic couple and and with all the having fun and and not being bogged down in business and all those things? Do you have any tricks or routines or anything after battling it out all day? Yeah, I'm so curious what you and Laurie do. But for me and Tom, we have a designated person. So it's me. We designated me as the person because when Tom and I sat down over time, when you're first dating and we started business together, over time, he gets into very hardcore work mode. And so he would just go all in all the time. And so after, let's say, a couple of weeks, I'm starting to feel distance from him. And now I'm not feeling connected. And now I'm feeling a little needy. And he's looking over like, what the hell is wrong with you? Because he hasn't felt it yet. Doesn't mean that he doesn't love me. I don't take it personally. He just has a different barometer our connection than I do. So my barometer goes off earlier than his, my indicator that we're maybe um, pulling ourselves apart and going too much into business. Mine goes off first. And now we've just discussed it. And he recognizes, you know what, babe, the fact that you wave the flag earlier is actually great because we never get too far. So we sit down and we go, okay, who is a designated person that can wave the flag? All right, it's me. Amazing. Now let's agree. Whenever I wave the flag, you must respond. Like, I cannot have you push back and go, you're you're being paranoid. You're being needy. If we've agreed I'm the person, then you must absolutely respond when I wave it. And for me, the promise I'll make you is I won't wave it all the time. Like, I won't just take advantage of it, right? It's the boy that cried wolf. Like, I'll never do it. I'll make the promise that I'll only wave it when I'm really feeling it. And you make the promise that you'll respond to it. So that's kind of like one of the things that have a designated person And then we always, well, not always, I don't want to lie. Most of the time we have date day or a a time together. 
And so what we do is usually on a Saturday or Sunday, and it's like, all right, babe, what is your selfish desire? And those are words that we very specifically use. This means don't think about me. Don't think about what Lisa wants. What do you actually selfishly want to do today? You're just as busy as I am. I don't want you to have to worry about like, because I would worry if he, if he was just like always trying to be there for me, when does he have time to himself? So we play this game every Saturday, every Saturday. And the funny thing is now our Saturday is pretty much catered to our perfect day. But what do you selfishly want to do? Because when you're in a relationship with someone, when you work with them all the time, when is your me time? So having that me time, I don't take it personally. He doesn't take it personally. So what we do is we both say what our selfish desires are. And then I'm the one who's very logistical. So I'm like, great. Now I know our both selfish desires. I'm going to schedule the day accordingly. So what I do is I love to draw. That's me time. He loves to either create. So it's either writing or looking at artwork on some pieces that we're doing, but he's normally working, but creative. So I'm like, great. While I'm drawing, that's when you're doing this. While I'm doing this, that's when you're doing this. And what we'll do, babe, is we'll come together at 1 p.m. and we'll have lunch together. We'll have a bath together. We'll do, you know, we'll play a game and all of whatever we want to do. And I just structure the day. I'm very logistical. And so now we're not leaving anything to chance, Chris, because that's the thing. Your business is always going to need you. Yeah, there's no a time like when you're done, you're caught up. It's always going to be there. So you have to yeah. carve out the intentional time. Exactly. And now the only other, well, not only I've got a million, but the other tip that really helped me because Tom and I are very different in the ways that we handle things. Tom can ebb and flow between personal and business. In fact, he could literally live business all the time. That's just him. I don't take it personally. He's an ambitious man. So that's who he is. For me, I need a differentiation between I'm working and I'm in, I'm not your wife mode. I'm your business partner mode. And then I need that I am officially now in wife mode because for me, I embody a different emotion. And I, when I'm in work, I get tough. I know I need to. There's a lot of business decisions that have to be made. There's a lot on the line. So I have to have this no BS. I'm in business mode. I have to make decisions. I'm not thinking about your feelings, babe, even though you're my husband. And then when I flip over into wife mode, I'm cuddly. I'm like, babe, I want to cuddle. Like, can I just smell you? Like I get soft. And so I can't ebb and flow between hard and soft. I need that separation. And so how I started to realize that separation and communicate that separation with him, because he's not like that, I started to come up with ways to signal to him. So number one is I go from, I've got like my jewelry on and my hair and like, this is my work outfit. This is me feeling strong. It's my armor for the day. It's my uniform. But when I go into wife mode, I put on, I take off my jewelry and I put on fluffy pajamas that actually emotionally softens me. So now he can take one look at me and see how I'm dressed. But even that sometimes isn't enough. So there was one time I switched off and because I have health issues, when I'm Mm -hmm. off, I cannot have people coming to me with business decisions. So I switched off and I have like, ah, I had an hour to myself. I'm in my bedroom. Tom walks in and he's like, babe, I need to ask you. And I was like, I'm off. I'm off duty. And he's like, but I just, I've got this quick question. And I'm like, I don't work like that, babe. I can't do, you can't just ask me a business question when I'm off duty. So instead of just arguing or battling, like, well, when are you on and off? I came up with a system. So I said, all right, babe, you know, like in those Brazilian restaurants where you have that like little thing where it's like, I want meat. I don't want meat. I was like, I need a signal to him. And so I had the lamp in my bedroom. And I was like, all right, babe, here's the signal. If you walk in and the lamp is on, because sometimes I would work in that room. So he found it hard to know. I was like, if you walk in, this lamp is on, it means I'm in Lisa wife mode. If the lamp isn't on, it means you can come talk to me about any decision. So literally the very next day, Chris, he walks in, he's like, hey, babe. He sees the lamp on, he's like, love you. And then he walks back and he closes the door and leaves the room. <laughs> That's amazing. It's literally like the on-air, off-air. Yeah, Like at, exactly. a, at a radio station. Yeah, that's incredible. I love that. Here's what I'm picking up so far between all of your answers. There's a common thread. The common thread is you have taken the time ahead of time to define roles. And that makes it easier to uphold boundaries later. You ask most people these types of questions. They say, well, we've set boundaries and this is a boundary. That's a boundary. Except boundaries are really tough to enforce. If you haven't first defined the roles and said, you know, the buck stops here or here's the signal for this. So it's the pre-work that you have done 
to create the signals and the boundaries and everything. I think that is really making you guys so successful as a romantic couple at the same time as business partners. That's just, I really commend that. Thank you. And then a big part of it though is like some of it is before, but some of it becomes you, I implement them when a problem arises and I don't Mm -hmm. let a problem simmer. That's the thing, right? It's like, oh, immediately Tom walked into the room. I'm trying to chill. He comes in asking me a business question. Immediately I said, okay, this is going to be a problem. Like if we keep doing this for months and months and months and months, I'm going to be worn down and we're going to argue, we're going to butt heads. That doesn't serve our relationship. That doesn't serve our business. So immediately, Lisa, what are you going to do to overcome this problem? Not point the finger, not say it's like, because that immediately, to be honest, originally, immediately, I want to be like, you keep coming to me. And now I'm saying it's a him problem. And that wasn't the right way. It's like, oh no, hang on a minute. This is an us issue. We're working on this together. What are the things we can implement? But things like that start to come up when I notice a problem. I just don't let it last for too long because we all know like there's that dust settles you know one bit of it's like dust settles is not a big deal another bit of dust settles is not a big deal well if you keep leaving that dust it ends up being a hell of a lot harder to clean yeah it's so true Lori and i call it smoke versus fire we try to put mm-hmm. everything out when it's smoke instead of letting it turn into a fire right because fires are too hard to fight i love I that love this that. is so good so valuable okay so i want to switch modes quick because I've heard through the grapevine that you are into something that I am wildly obsessed with right now, and that is Mm -hmm. NFTs. Did I hear correctly? You are. You did hear correctly. Okay. Just the way you lit up excites me. Okay. So here's why I'm asking. Yeah. You have been on the cutting edge of everything. Like first it was nutrition with being one of the co-founders of Quest, and we saw how that blew up in the nutrition space. And then you did it again with podcasting and, and the whole information space with impact theory and women of impact. So you've already... You've always been on the front end of things and then created them and made them wildly successful. So if you are now dabbling in an NFT project, that would mean that that is clearly something that people need to be paying attention to based (laughs) on your past trends. So why do NFTs excite you and what can you tell me about where you're dabbling right now? Okay, so this is a fascinating subject. So here's the thing. I can't take the credit. My husband is a visionary. And when I married him and we met, it was like, I loved how ambitious he was. I love how audacious he would dream. And so I'd never met anyone like that before. I was always told as a little kid, being growing up Greek Orthodox, when I would say, I want to move to America. You know, I'd get, you know, my Greek, my Greek dad patting me on the back. He's like, oh yeah, you're going to be a housewife anyway. Right? Like that was really how they saw it. So when I met Tom, I was like, oh my God, here's someone that dreams massive. So all these things that he was like, well, when Quest Fest started, everyone was like, well, we need to be in stores. We need to have billboards. And he's like, no, Facebook's the place. And you're like, the place where like old people talk to each other about their high school reunions? Because back, this is 2010. That's what Facebook was for. And he's like, yes, this evangelize your customer. Have them talk about you. Forget about putting money on billboard, like putting money into, you know, billboards that is so passive. So he was the one that identified it. And I'm just the person that believes in him enough to go, let's give it a shot. So every step of the way, I wish I could say, yeah, I was the one behind it. I wasn't. I was just the one that was like, I will work hard. And it's not blind belief. It is, are we willing to look at it? Are we willing to make a plan? Are we willing to go for it, put our all into it? And then if we fail, willing to look at how we failed. Because that's even in what you said about the the companies that we've built. I don't want people to think that we're gold makers in the sense of we had a real estate agency before we started Quest. We had a domain website agency. I had a a website design company. Like Tom and I, we had a photography company called Billy Photography. Like, and where are all of those? They don't exist. So everything was, okay, this is it. Let's give it a try. Let's go in. Let's, you know, give it all we've got. Let's stay aligned. Let's make sure we're communicating. So that's kind of now taking us to the Web3 world. When my husband hears about it, he's like, babe, this is the freaking future. Like we need to invest. This is where storytelling is going because our our goal is still storytelling. But now he's like, like, where are the, the younger generation going? Because for us, it really is, we chose not to have children so that we could really impact culture, like things on a global scale. That's the decision we've made. That's why we're not having children. So for us, we don't want to play small. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we're going to win, but we're not looking to play small. So that's a decision we've made. Then with the web three, what is it? The bold favors the new or the new favors the bold? Yeah. Thing is. Yeah, and yeah. What happens when you get older is you're less more bold. 
which is why you get younger generation that come in and they're the entrepreneurs. They're the ones that come up with these new ideas because as the older generation starts to believe certain things aren't possible. They start to get very comfortable in what they do and they don't innovate. And that's the thing that Tom and I have always really encouraged each other is innovation. And so when it came to the Web3 world, when it came to understanding the possibility, we just rolled the dice and we said, hey, look, are we willing to put our finances behind this new venture? Do we really believe in it? Do we think it's going to impact culture? And our North Star is, if so, will it create impact? That's our main goal. So we're now entering the Web3 space. I've been writing the book while Tom has been building the entire company around the Web3. And so part of what I'm trying to do is help onboard females into this new space because it's scary, right? And when I think about Web2, when I think about when the internet first came about, I don't know about you, Chris, I remember going, well, what's the internet? Well, you have to switch on the computer. Okay, I switched on the computer. Where's my email? No, 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 Lisa, you have to go to Safari. What the hell is Safari? That little thing at the bottom. Okay, well, where's my email now? No, 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 you actually need to go to Hotmail and you have to start an account. What the hell is an account? And it became so daunting that I didn't do it. And when I think mm-hmm. about how many people, business people made so much money off Web2, it was the people that weren't scared. It was the people that said, I have no idea what this is, but let me go in and try and figure it out. And the message I heard in the female space is the women got left behind. Yeah, it's true. And now in Web3, it is my freaking duty. It is my mission to say, if you are the person that in five, 10 years, say you got left behind, I want you to know you left yourself behind because now is the time. Take ownership. We have the opportunity as women to enter this space too. And I never want a woman to say we got left behind. No, no, we have the ability to take ownership and say, I'm going to go into this space. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to know what you're doing. That's what radical confidence is about. It's about being scared, but figuring it out. So Web3, we all know the confused mind says no. So I go step one, how do I not confuse people? And so I'm really working on how I work on the messaging for women specifically, because I understand it. Like I feel the core of why it's confusing and how I can learn with our company where we're growing in the Web3 space and slowly start on board. So one of the things I'm doing with my book is I've got a like a street team, like the real, like who wants to come on board and really crush this with me? If you, and I've called it my radical confidence homies. And what I'm doing is I'm giving away a free NFT. So I've developed an NFT. I've called it the Bad Bitch Boots NFT to go along with one of my chapters. Love the name. Love the name. And I have got these little videos that I've done where it's me just saying, hi, this is how you set up a MetaMask wallet. Click this, go here. And I've got this little simple video just to help people set up a wallet. And then what I'm going to do with my Radcon homies is I then I'm going to airdrop them a free NFT. Now, why am I doing that? Because now they get something for free. We're hand-holding. So we're going in it together because it is scary. So doing something together like that is less scary. I've got a very simple video. And now they've just taken that first step. They've got a wallet and they've got their first NFT. And now the hope is, even if they're scared, they've got a tiny bit of radical confidence because they've done that first step. And a lot of us get fearful over that first step. Are these radical confidence NFTs or are they the bad bitch boots NFTs? Are, are they related? So it's a bad bitch boot NFT in the spirit for the Radcon homies group. The bad bitch boots is absolutely attached to Radcon. So it is part of that promotion. But I want it to be owned by the person. So that's why I didn't want to call it like radical confidence. I didn't want people to think it's about Lisa Billu. It's more about you've got this. When you look at it, do you feel like like you've got that confidence, the bad bitch? So I wanted that specifically. And when I think about what women love, I don't want to change women's behavior. That's what we did at Quest. It was... Instead of trying to throw chicken breast and broccoli down someone's throat, which is changing someone's behavior, because we were like sweet food, how do you leverage someone's behavior like sweet foods? That's how Quest came about because we're like, oh, if we make a bar that is healthy and happens to be good for them, then someone's going to eat it because you're leveraging the fact that they love sweet things. Same with what we're doing at Impact Theory. We're creating animation, storytelling, because while I love 
deep conversations. Most of the world just want to watch a movie. So yep. now you make a movie that to me, something like Karate Kid, for instance, mm-hmm. it's entertaining, but the message is freaking powerful. But the meaning behind Karate Kid can be really freaking powerful if you let it. But some people don't realize they get into by it. They love the movie. Other people like me are still at 42 and still say wax on, wax off as preparation. And like that analogy is amazing. It's like you may think right now all you're doing is painting a fence and waxing a car, but one day that skill set will come into use. And so the wax on, wax off analogy, I use in business. So when I go to now the NFT, I go to how do you leverage someone's behavior which is women love clothes. Women love shoes. And so instead of me trying to do an art piece where it's like, oh, you know, some people may like it. Some people may not. What are most women like? They like shoes. And because I had a chapter called get off the couch and put on your bad bitch boots as a motivation chapter, it felt very right to do something that was a fashion element so that it would resonate with women. That is so cool. I freaking love it. You're meeting them where they're at and you're inviting them into a space that I think is so important for people to learn about it. My opinion, humble opinion is this. We are at a a time in history, not just for our lives. We're talking like generations upon generations upon generations where there will never be a bigger opportunity in front of people right now because of Web 3.0, right? Blockchain technology meeting the invention of brand new currencies that'll be adapted worldwide. This is the equivalent, Lisa, in my opinion, to had we lived when we went off of the gold standard into fiat currency right Mm -hmm. in the beginning and all the opportunity that came with that, at the same time as living during the Industrial Revolution and all the opportunity that came with that, to me, this is the collision of those two all over again. And you're creating a space where it feels safe and fun for people to be on the front end of this collision instead of too late, like most people end up. And I just, I applaud that so much because it's going to create so many more millionaires and multimillionaires and empowered women and competent women and everything else that comes along with that for their families and their generations to come because you're making this effort. Thank you. Yeah. And look, I don't know if it is the right path, right? And getting your feedback actually is very valuable. So thank you for that. Because, you know, when you work in isolation, right? You're like, I think Mm -hmm. that this is what I think I would need in order to enter it. So I just, I just need a simple video. I need something that's really silly and simple and fun to watch to set on my wallet. And now it's like, if it's just sitting there, you don't necessarily have to do something, but now you feel like, oh, you understand it a little bit more. And that's the thing. I don't want to overwhelm people because I'm overwhelmed. I sit on these phone calls, Chris, with Tom and like our tech team and our web three team. And I'm like, it's like just speaking another language. And if I feel like that, when my company is now becoming a web three, you know, have a web three division. And my husband has been doing this now for, you know, 10 months. And it still is confusing to me. Like that's important to note that it isn't an easy thing to pick up. And how do we start bringing in and onboarding people where, you know, we're not leaving people behind? I love it. I absolutely love it. So let's, let's kind of shift a little bit because you mentioned radical confidence, your new book coming out that everyone's super excited about. And the lessons in there have been such good parallels for what we've talked about. How do you display radical confidence in the boardroom? How do you display mm-hmm. radical confidence in your relationship? How do you display radical confidence in a brand new shift of the universe and with Web 3.0? How do those things manifest and show up in individuals? And usually it's in a negative way, right? They default to a lack of confidence or old stories. You are showing up with, no pun intended, radical confidence in each of these areas. So talk to me about the book. Who's it for? Yeah, that's funny. So When Tom came to me, so a literary agent reached out to Tom and said, would Lisa be interested in writing a book? So when he first came to me, this is about a year ago. So I've already built a billion dollar company. We've built Impact Theory that has over half a billion views or whatever. And so when Tom comes to me about this book, I literally was like, oh, thanks, babe. Yeah, that's sweet. And I like go back to work. And he's like, babe, you just got a book offer. Like, what the hell is, like, are you paying attention? And I was like, oh, that's sweet. But who would buy a book from me? And, And in that moment, this is a year ago. And in that moment, I was like, oh, bless that 14 year old insecure Lisa is still there. It's actually okay. Yeah. Don't worry. You know, and now I've, I've gotten to the point in my evolution and my growth where I don't 
judge myself for having a negative thought. I don't tear myself down. I just recognize it because I'm very self-aware. So I'm like, oh, okay, she's there. What is she trying to tell me? Because I do think our negative voice can sometimes actually help us. To your point, sometimes it just holds us all back, right? We go negative, we stay there. It's like your kryptonite. How on earth do you get over it? So I was like, well, what if this negative voice is my superpower? And I like using fun language because I don't like to take yeah. myself too seriously. Because if I take myself too seriously, I really will be sad about myself. And when I say sad, Which it's like- never I'm... stop doing that. I love that about you. Never Thank stop you. being that way. Thank you. It's the way that I've been able to move forward. Because if I sit here and really talk about how crippling my negative voice can be, I could spiral. So I don't want people to think it doesn't come to me. It's just that I use language and I use behavior and I use even the tone of my voice to make this sort of thing lighthearted so that I can approach it without that seriousness, like it's life or death. So I realized this negative voice was the bitch in my head and she can be crippling. She can be cruel and she can be a bully. And I was like, this is definitely not serving me. Like, like I cannot move forward. I'm, I'm just in my own head. So how do I make this my superpower? All right. What do we know about people that tell you maybe sometimes hard things to hear? Well, what if it's someone that you actually care about? What if, Chris, Laurie came up to you and she's like, I love you so much, but you know what? When you do this, it's not helping you here. When you do this, it actually doesn't serve you over here. Chris, you actually told me that your goal was this. And I'm just pointing out right now, what you're doing isn't going to help your goal. You want that in your partner. You want them to be honest with you because they care about you. So what if I positioned my negative voice to be that? Okay, great. So now I've positioned my negative voice. I like to say, oh, I come in best friend, my BFF, you know, put my arm around her, um, give her a cup of tea. And now just listen. What is she trying to tell you? So like with the situation with my book, I've got very good at going, okay, the voice is trying to tell me something. What is it trying to tell me? Well, once upon a time, I would have heard it's telling you you're no good. But now what I'm hearing is it's telling me, Lisa, you don't know how to write a book. Mm. And the truth is, as a friend, she's right. I don't know how to write a book. And so I go, thank you, voice in my head. Now, how on earth do I write a book? And this is what what radical confidence is. I'm still scared to write a book. I still have, I still feel like an imposter. Like to call myself an author is weird, but I go in. And radical confidence means you may feel awkward. You may be scared. You may not know what you're doing, but with radical confidence, you can go in and figure it out. Now that doesn't mean blindly figure it out. It means going, okay, I don't know how to write a book. Great. What's step one? Lisa, you have friends who know how to write a book. Okay. So step one is just do your research. Phone your friends who've got New York Times number ones or been in the top 10 that know how to write good books that like really create impact. Write a list of questions of all the things I'm, I'm scared about in writing a book and ask them. And so that's what I did. I wrote out a list of questions. I had like 10 questions and I hit up all my really good friends. And I just said, I'm so sorry, but I'm going to grill you right now. All right. Question number one, what's the worst thing about writing a book? Question two, what's the most scary thing about writing a book? What's the thing I'm going to get trapped in? Right? Like all of these things I wrote down. And so what I did is that was my first step in radical confidence. Okay, now I feel a bit more prepared. Then the next step, what am I worried about? Okay, I'm worried about that maybe I don't have enough to say. Okay, Lisa, well, instead of worrying about you, maybe you don't have enough to say, change that perspective and say, what is important that you need to say? And now I just sit down and go, what are all the important things I need to say in this book? And so I do this every step of the way, every step, every step, every step. And I just practice and I go, okay, try this this work? Did I get more prepared? Do I feel more competent? And that's the key. Competence is what leads to confidence. So people want the confidence first, right? I want confidence to do this. I want confidence to write a book. And I just go, write the book, that will create the confidence. Competence leads to confidence. That's huge because everybody has a flip-flop, like you were saying. Everybody thinks, if I'm confident to move forward, then I must be competent to do it. And then all of a sudden, like you said, when your 14-year-old self or your 7-year-old self or your 10-year-old self crops up and says, oh, you better not do that. This is scary. What you've done is you've taken the emotion out of that and said, wait, 7-year-old self, 10-year-old self, 14-year-old self, tell me what the real fear is. Where are we maybe incompetent that we could solve? Where are we incompetent that we could ask for help or Google for crying out loud? And before you know it, you're competent and now you're confident in going forward. That's such, 
to, I like formulas to me. That's a really powerful formula to go from scared to do something and missing out to applying logic and saying, what's the real fear? Oh, it's not that bad. I can Google it or ask about it and then move forward. That's powerful. Thank you. And I love that you said Google because that's exactly what we did as real growing quest. I had zero idea what I was doing. I had been a housewife supporting my husband for eight years. We start quest. I'm like, oh, I'm a good Greek housewife. I'll support him. Babe, how can I help? So he's like, I'll just ship boxes from the living room floor, a couple of, you know, a couple of minutes a day, won't take long. But quest grew at 57,000%. And so I started with, you know, shipping one in the mailbox, then going to the post office with a garbage bag. Then it's like, oh my God, I've got my own office where I'm shipping. And then I have UPS picking it up. And then one day, like I had no idea what I was doing, Chris. No idea. And then one day I had more than like more orders than we'd ever had in a day. It was like 20 or whatever. And I was all excited. And the UPS comes by and he's like, you know what? It'd actually be easier if you put all the boxes on the pallet and I can take them all at once. And I was like, okay, thanks, great. Dude, I was like, what the hell is a pallet? And I ran back to Google and I was like, what's a pallet? And it found out where it was a pallet. I put in my address. How the hell do I get a pallet here? The very next day, a pallet arrived and I put all the boxes on and there you go. Now I figured out how to ship boxes out quicker because I had a pallet. I never didn't even know what it existed. That is so great. I love that story because so many things are one Google search away from being radically obvious, except we don't take the time to ask. It's crazy if you think about it. I want to stay on this subject for a moment. And here's why. Let's be honest. People put you on a pedestal because of your accomplishments. And then they see the the physical you and you're strong and you got style. and, And they think that you must just be a confident storm blowing into boardrooms and making the right decision and walking out with an explosion behind you. And I think people hold themselves to that standard and say, I'm not there yet, so I can't be like her. Mm. And you offered up a beautiful example already when you said, when the publisher came to you and said, hey, you should write a book. And your 14-year-old self said, well, who are you to write a book? Nobody would want to read it. Do you have another example of somewhere in your career where your lack of confidence temporarily made you take pause and you almost missed an opportunity? So many, I cannot even begin to tell you, Chris. But I mean, yes, there are so many. And that's the thing. And the reason why I actually wrote the book Radical Confidence, and I called it that, was because exactly people were just like, oh my God, Lisa, I want your confidence. And Chris, honestly, I was like, who are you talking to? Like, you must be talking to someone else, like looking over your shoulder. Because I'm <laughs> yeah, like who's behind me? Um, because because that isn't how I feel. That isn't the voice in my head. Like the voice in my head is still telling me that I'm not good enough. The voice in my head is still saying, who on earth do you think you are to go after that? So it's not that I don't have it. It's not that I always feel great. It's that I keep moving forward. And I think that that's what people see. And in my evolution of 10 to 15 years of me always moving forward is what's led me to owning the fact that, yes, I want freaking braids in my hair and I don't care what other people think. But I spent 20 years, 20 years with a parting down the middle with straight hair because I was so worried about sticking out because I was teased as a kid. So the last thing I wanted was to stick out. So everything you see now has been an evolution of me starting to lean more and more into who I want to be. And that isn't with like blind confidence. That is because I've done the radical confidence work to build it step by step. So going back to your question of, I'm not sure if this is quite what you're asking, but I can give you an example where I never wanted to get on stage ever. Mm -hmm. I was like, it looks like the most fearful thing. I've seen your wife do it. Oh my God. She's so amazing. Like, My husband does it like he's so good. And so I was like, I'm never going to do that. Like, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to be terrible. There's no way I'm going to get on stage and do this. It just doesn't make sense. Like, why would I ever put myself through that situation? And then I started to say no to gigs. People were asking, I would say no. You were actually the first person, one of the first, and it wasn't on stage, but you know how nervous I was when I came to that, your event? I was petrified. Really? I would have never guessed that. Petrified, Chris. I kept saying to Tom, I was like, babe, what if I mess up? And he's like, I've got your back, babe. Don't worry. I wouldn't have done it by myself. The only reason why I said yes to you is because Tom was with me. Wow. That's incredible. Nobody would ever guess that, including myself, that, that you would have said no to opportunities like that without with Tom saying, hey, I got your back. Everybody would have thought that you'd leap at that. Of course, I've got stuff to stay on stage. And by the way, I'm shocked because I have all of these same thoughts too. It's, it's wild. Yeah. But isn't wow. it funny so, how we all have it, but we never think the other person does? Yeah. Isn't that funny? And that's such great permission. So for every single person listening, if I have it, and if you have it, Lisa, I know Lori has it. That means everybody has these massive fears that we somehow 
tap into radical confidence momentarily just to get into that next step, whether it's on the stage or as an author or to start that business, whatever it might be, this temporary moment of radical confidence. And, and you've taken it and put a formula to it, basically, in this book. I love it. Thank you. Because, yeah, like really processing even, right? Like if I can see and go, oh my God, okay, well, Chris has it. Okay, that makes me feel better. Well, Laurie has it. Okay, that makes me feel better. So let's say, for instance, I'm like, okay, other people have it. So it's not a big deal. But when you are petrified, it is a big deal. And using other people as example doesn't necessarily get you on stage. Because sometimes that feeling of not being worthy is real and it gets in your way no matter how much you may want to get on stage. And so I recognize that. And so my husband was the first person who said, babe, you know what? You not getting on stage holds you back from your goal of impact. And he's like, it's your life. It's up to you. But as my you know, husband and my business partner. And so I sat there and I said, okay, I am so scared. And now I'm going to go back to something I said earlier. What's more important, my ego or my goal? So that becomes your very, you said you love formulas. Formula number one is ask yourself that question. Because once you then ask yourself, and if you say your goal, okay, great. Now you've said, yes, I'm going to speak on stage. That's just making the decision. But now, how do you actually go on stage? And so step one, I said to my team, the next people that reach out say yes. Because I didn't want the opportunity of the fear to come out and me and override me in that moment. So in the moment where I didn't have the fear because no one had asked me, I gave the instruction for people to say yes. Now, of course, the first person that asked was TEDx. Oh and my gosh, like, really? of course it would be. Of course. <laughs> but I made a promise to myself. So I couldn't back out because my promise is everything. So I say yes. And now I'll go into the thing of, okay, I can tell myself, but Laurie does it and she's fearful. But how do I actually step on stage? I've said yes, but how do I actually get on it? That's radical confidence because I sat there and I came up with a, a detailed blueprint of how I was going to get on stage. I let the fear speak and the fear was saying, I don't know if I can actually walk on stage. Great. What is the blueprint on how I'm actually going to walk on stage? I use music. So I put headphones in. I have a hype song. Mine's Destiny's Child. I'm a survivor. I put it on repeat. And I jam in the corner to get myself motivated. I know that music impacts me. So that was number one. Number two, what you see, the hair, the jewelry. You put, give a kid a cape, Chris. What are they doing? Oh, they're, they're a superhero all of a sudden. All of a sudden. So we know clothes have an impact on how we feel. So I now embody that childlike feeling and I go, how does things make me feel? And I've experimented and I realized my boots, my bad bitch boots make me feel like a bad bitch. Now, here's the funny thing. I didn't call them bad bitch boots by accident. I said, I need to create power items that are going to help me feel good about myself. But that takes cultivating, right? It takes habits. So every time I would put on these boots, because I was like, I really like these knee-high boots. They make me feel good. Let me call them bad bitch boots. All right, amazing. Every time I put them on and zip them up, I'm going to tell myself, you got your bad bitch boots on. And oh now gosh. repetition creates habit. So now when I go for my bad bitch boots, when I'm about to get on stage, I have now a feeling that I have cultivated within myself. So I've got all these little things that I did in order to get on stage in the first place. I've got like 20 more, but those are like the big ones. And now I'm on stage, but I was letting my fear speak. And the other fear was, what if you freeze? What if you either freeze, forget what you're about to say or make a mistake? That's really the big fear. And I was like, okay, let me have a think about it. Let me sit back and actually think, All right, you know, kids, when they fall, they look at their parents to see how they should react. You've seen that where it's like, they're like, should I yeah. cry or am I okay? Yep. And you can see them asking like, yeah, All yeah, right, yeah. am I okay? Should I cry? <laughs> but because why? We mirror each other. So when someone is heartbroken, when someone is sad, you end up feeling that way. So now I go, okay, Lisa, if I'm on stage and I freeze, I've lost the audience. The audience are uncomfortable for me. So no matter what happens, you've got to find a tactic and a tool that you're going to do that doesn't make the audience freeze. That was my goal. Just whatever you do, Lisa, don't make the audience freeze. So I said, if I mess up, if I freeze, I'm just going to laugh. Like I'm actually going to laugh out loud and just make a joke. That was my rule. So now I get on stage. I do all my tips, my blueprints. I get everything ready. I get on stage. Within three minutes, I mess up and 
I'm telling a story about my grandparents. And I said, well, when my dad gave birth to my grandmother, <laughs> instead of obviously my grandmother gave birth to yeah, my dad. exactly. I'm literally on stage as the words come out. I'm like, oh, fuck, 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 fuck. I fucked up. <laughs> like, yeah, like, that- like you could somehow grab them and put them back in. <laughs> yeah. And it's like you realize, and I was like, laugh, Lisa, laugh. And I was like, so I start laughing. I'm like, well, that would be weird. And the audience starts laughing and I go on to tell the story. And literally it was like, because I laughed at myself, because I heard them laugh, it was like, ah, yeah, keep moving on. And so I didn't freeze. I didn't create a moment where I never wanted to get on stage again. Cause that's the thing, right? It's like how you react to something, how you put a story together in your mind will dictate how you then show up next time. And so for me, it was so important to try everything I possibly could to leave that experience with love and joy in my heart so that I would want to do it again. And so now I look back and it was pretty much a terrible speech, but you know what? I freaking did it. And that's all I care about. I'm so proud of myself that I showed up and that encouraged me to go, you know what, Lisa, you can do this. So now do you want to do more public speaking? And now it became if I wanted to versus if I thought I was capable or not. Mm, I love it. Gosh, the, once again, the the formula or the message I keep hearing from you, and, and this is why people have to go and grab the book is you have very specific ways of preparing, whether it's putting on your bad bitch boots right? So, so that's other people are going to learn what's your item? Is it a watch? Is it a shirt? Is it a necklace? Right? And then you prepared for, hey, I, here's where I know I might make a mistake. So what am I going to do when I find myself making that mistake? And you are ready for it when it happened. The preparation is unreal. And that's why people need to go grab this book. So radicalconfidence.com. Is that the best yeah. place they should go? Absolutely. Yeah. We've got a whole bunch of like free goodies, downloads, like free classes. I just really want it to be more than just a book. I really do want people to change their lives and use the book on their journey, whatever that journey is. So yeah, radicalconfidence.com can go over there and get all the goodies. Okay. I love it. I'm going to add to this if you don't mind. You have no idea I'm going to do this, but I believe in this so much as a tool that the first 50 people that are listening right now, that tag both you and I in their Instagram stories with one of two things. They can either do their favorite takeaway from the episode or they can tell us what their item's going to be. Is it like your bad bitch boots, right? If they're like, mine's my watch or mine's my shirt or mine's my, right? Like I want to know what people's item is going to be that transforms them into the confident superhero. So whether they share that or whether they share a takeaway, the first 50 people, I will personally send a book to their home from my team. They'll go on Amazon. They'll send it right to their home. So tag both Lisa and I with your takeaway or what your bad bitch boot version (laughs) is for you. That's what I'm hoping they tag us. Me too. Send you guys a book because I believe in this tool. Lisa, I can't thank you enough for coming on and, and just sharing everything from how you make a relationship work to why you're excited about the NFT space like me how you're inviting women into it. And then obviously about Radical Confidence, which is such a great timely book right now for the opportunity that's in front of people to actually get them to follow through with it. So the most heartfelt thank you for taking the time and doing that. Oh my God. Thank you for you to you and having me on and being so amazing. I just love hanging with you guys and it's been a while. So this has just been such like a personal joy and selfishness. It's like, if anything, you know, obviously I definitely hope people got some takeaways, but selfishly, I was just happy to hang with you. Same way. It's like a selfish catch up <laughs> and people got to listen in. I, love I know. <laughs> well, I can't thank you enough. I appreciate you being on. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success. 